Hello, this is Aussie Warrior podcast number three. I'm Nick Flavel and I want to talk today about the most iconic figure in Australian sports history, Sir Donald Bradman. Saw a curious thing at a junior cricket match at Barrel recently. Don Bradman cracked bat, sent a ball over the boundary fence. It struck half a brick, rebounded onto a fence post, poised there for an appreciable time and ran along the top of the palings the whole length of a panel of fencing before descending outside the boundary. This little article was submitted by John to the Smiths Weekly in 1920 under the heading Bounding Ball. John was a sub-editor and had inadvertently scooped the world's media in spotting a very talented young 12-year-old boy growing up in Barrel who would go on to dominate the game of cricket and arguably become one of the greatest sportsmen of all time. When I think about people who have contributed to shaping the great culture of Australia, one of the first people I think of is Don Bradman. For many Australians past and present, he is an almost mythical figure. The idea that an Australian could be the greatest batsman the world has ever seen, and with a strong argument, that he was the greatest sportsman the world has ever seen. He finished with a test match average of 99.94, which is double the average of the traditional benchmark to assess whether a batsman is great, around 50. And Sir Don's average is just so significantly greater than any of the other great players that he must be in the conversation for what the Americans like to call the GOAT, or greatest of all time. There are some batsmen who have managed a batting average in the low 60s. Stephen Smith is a modern-day great and has just dipped below 60, as has Marcus Labuschagne. Voges, Pollock, Headley, Sutcliffe are just some of the names going at just over 60. The great Indian batsman section Tendulkar was just under 54 average. He played significantly more tests than Bradman, 200 versus 52. So Bradman was a statistical outlier. But there is something more to Bradman and his legacy than just the sheer weight of runs. Why was Bradman so important to Australians? And why does he continue to inspire generations of cricketers and cricket fans around the world? To truly appreciate Bradman's impact, we need to understand the context in which he rose to prominence. Born on August 27th, 1908, in the town of Cootamundra, New South Wales, Bradman grew up in a typical working-class Australian family. He played for the Australian cricket team between 1928 and 1948, and the 30s and 40s were a period of great social and economic change in Australia, During this time, Australia was still a largely rural and agricultural society with a population of around 7 million people. The country was also recovering from the Great Depression of the 1930s and was preparing for World War II, which broke out in 1939. Despite these challenges, Australia was experiencing a period of relative prosperity and stability during Bradman's playing career and he was beginning to develop a distinct national identity 
Cricket was in, an important part of Australian culture during this time and Bradman was one of the country's most beloved and admired sports figures. His success on the cricket field helped to unite Australians around a shared sense of national pride and identity and his performances were celebrated across the country. When we look back now, Bradman stands as the epitome of excellence in his field of endeavour, batting. He was also known for his humble and down-to-earth personality and he embodied many of the the values that Australians hold dear, such as hard work, determination and bravery. This skill and bravery was on full display in what became known as the Bodyline series, where Bradman played a central role. This was the highly contentious and controversial cricketing tactic used by the England cricket team during the 1932-33 Ashes series in Australia. The English captain Douglas Jardine instructed his fast bowlers, Harold Larwood, Bill Vose and Gubby Allen, to bowl a line of short pitch deliveries aimed at the batsmen's bodies with a packed leg side field in an attempt to force them into making mistakes. The fielders were positioned mainly on the leg side, with a number of them in close catching positions. This tactic was aimed at intimidating the Australian batsmen, particularly Don Bradman, the best batsman in the world. The English team believed that this tactic would be the most effective way of dismissing him. Bradman was hit several times during the series and struggled to score as freely as he was used to. The aggressive bowling tactics, specifically targeting the batsman's body, were seen as dangerous and unsportsmanlike by many Australians. The controversy was heightened by the fact that the Australian captain, Bill Woodfall, was struck on the heart by a ball during the series. In addition, tensions were already high due to the Great Depression and political tensions between the two countries. The tactic led to heated exchanges between the two teams, as well as significant diplomatic tensions between England and Australia. The Australian Board of Control even threatened to cancel the remainder of the tour if it continued. The controversy led to the introduction of new rules to limit the use of bodyline tactics in cricket. Bradman was struck on the body many times. He finished the series with an average of 56.57, which was still a highly respectable figure, but well below his career average of 99.94. The Bodyline series was won by England with a final score of 4-1 in their favour, but Australians would not forget the dangerous assault on their players' bodies and senses. Bradman came to represent a kind of aspirational ideal, the idea that through hard work and dedication, anyone could rise to the top of their field. In many ways, Bradman embodied the Australian spirit, of resilience and determination in the face of adversity. He he was a hero, not just to cricket fans, but to anyone who aspired to greatness. He was tough, fearless, incredibly skillful and stood for fair play on and off the field. I just wanted to describe some of the early seasons and significant innings for Bradman as he made his way through club, district, state or... Sheffield Shield and finally Test Cricket. In 
26, or around that era, Bradman left school at the age of 14 uh, and uh, had given up cricket, devoting a whole summer to tennis. At the end of the following summer, he was persuaded to play cricket again and batted twice, making a duck and 66. But his serious career began in 25-26, playing for Barrel at the age of 17, and the batting maestro showed his promise. With 12 innings, 3 not out, 985 runs at an average of 109.4. This included a top score of 300 in the competition final. And while he was there, he was second in the bowling with 35 wickets at an average of 8.1, won the trophy for the most catches, 16, and the trophy for the best fielding. So not a bad season. So he was on the radar heading into the 1926-27 season. On the 5th of October 1926, Bradman received a letter from the New South Wales Cricket Association who were keen to find talented young players from the country. So a letter was sent from the Secretary of the Association to D. Bradman Esquire in Barrel, and the letter read, Dear Sir, the State Selectors have had under consideration your record in cricket in the past season and in view of such record they particularly desire to see you in action. For this purpose I'd like you to attend practice at the Sydney Cricket Ground on Monday next 11th instant. Practice commences at 4pm and continues throughout the afternoon. Should you be able to attend as requested, please let me know in order that I may inform the selectors who will be on watch for you and in order that I may advise you as to your further particulars. My association is prepared to pay your fare from barrel and return and should you deem it necessary to remain in Sydney overnight, you will be reimbursed to the extent of your accommodation. I sincerely trust that you will give this matter the consideration its importance warrants and hope that you will, if you will be able to attend, let me know immediately and state the time you hope to arrive in Sydney. Should you find it impossible to attend on the 11th, please inform me if any other Monday in the near future would be suitable, and I'll have arrangements made accordingly. Yours faithfully, the Secretary. So, he was up and running, and uh, the New South Wales Association were keen to have a look at him. Um, at the time, it was proposed that Bradman would join a local cricket club in Sydney, Central Cumberland. However, the expense of coming to Sydney every week was too much to bear for the player and the club could not afford to contribute. So this opened the door for St George and Bradman was soon playing for them. He returned for their final against Mossvale, or returned to Barrel, and uh, played in the final. And... I'll just give you a quick quick summary of how that went. After giving a poor exhibition the previous Saturday, Don Bradman excelled himself on this occasion and the few spectators were given a rare treat. Getting his eye in quickly, Don commenced to pepper the bowling and was not long in reaching his century, after which he gave a remarkable exhibition of batting activity. 
Never before has the Mossvale Bowling received such an unmerciful flogging. Good and bad were treated alike. The balls whizzing to every part of the field. And only those who attempted to stop them know how much ginger was behind them. His experience in Sydney first-class cricket this season has made a marked improvement in Bradman's play and he gave one of the most exhilarating displays one could wish to see by making the phenomenal score of 320 not out in which there were six sixes. He broke the district high score record of 300 made by himself against Mossvale last season. He had a few lives but then he was after runs off every ball and after all, how many such scores are made in any class of cricket without a few chances being given? So, not a bad innings. From there, Bradman was selected to debut for New South Wales against South Australia in Adelaide. He was selected as 12th man, but a late injury saw him called into the lineup to bat at number 7. He scored a century on debut in first-class cricket, 20th Australian to do so, making 118. The headlines read, like a veteran. Bradman's debut. That Australia has unearthed another top-notcher is the opinion expressed by old interstate and international cricketers who watched Don Bradman compile a century in his innings in Sheffield Shield cricket. Though only 19 years old, he played like a veteran, devoid of nerves, cracking Grimmett twice for four at the very outset of his innings and completing his hundred by sweeping Lee to the league boundary. Bradman is a natural batsman. He uses his feet well and though he hit hard and made strokes all around the wicket, not for a moment did he take the slightest risk. So he's up and running. He's, He's come from dominating uh, his country club cricket district. He's picked in the test side and what do you know, century on debut. Following this innings, Bradman wrote a letter to the Bowral newspaper and uh, the paper reprinted it and that it was headed up, Thanks from Don. From Don himself, we have the following characteristic note. Whilst playing cricket in Adelaide on the present tour, I received the following telegram from Barrel. Hearty congratulations from all your Barrel friends and well wishes. There was no signature, but it would appear to have been sent from the local residents. And as I cannot thank anyone in particular, I'd like you to convey my sincerest thanks and appreciation to those people who have sent me messages of congratulation. The whole trip has been wonderful and the experience which one gains on such a trip is a great benefit for all future occasions. Beyond that, it is very gratifying to know that one's efforts are also appreciated by the people of Barrel, and wherever I go, I will always cherish very happy memories of the town where I learnt my cricket. Once again, may I thank one and all for the great kindness shown to me and while I am in the game, I will do my best to live up to the standards expected both on and off the field. Yours very sincerely, D.G. Bradman. There is another article around this time that speaks to Bradman's character, the traditions of the time and the esteem to which he was held by his barrel town folk. And that was another article 
and the heading was Barrel Honours Her Cricket Hero. Presentation of gold watch and chain to Dom Bradman. Interstate players lord the barrel boy. There was, there was an exceptionally large attendance at the reception and dance given in barrel on Friday night in honour of Dom Bradman and the visiting St George players. Such a tribute of respect and admiration has rarely been paid to a resident in these districts and Dom might have been pardoned had he shown some little sign of swelled head. But his greetings of old friends and his reply to the speeches made in his praise was marked by modesty of demeanour. It explains the rapid progress he's made in the affections of his new associates in the game. For the most notable feature of the speeches of the visitors, from Richardson downwards, was the evident pleasure they had in praising their new associate. As Mr Westbrook said, Don Bradman had endeared himself to the public, not only by his masterly cricket, but by his character, which was the same in private life as on the cricket field. Mayor Stevens has every reason to feel satisfied with his success of his first visual effort to promote sport and sociability in Barrel. Everyone was in the happiest mood and the reception was one of the most successful functions ever held in the town, a success which was repeated on Lowsby Park the following day. After dancing had been indulged in for some time to the strains of Mr Bevan's orchestra, Mr Maley and other visiting and local cricketers were invited to take seats on the platform. The Mayor then introduced local players to the visitors after which he proceeded with the presentation. He said there was no need to tell them that they had met primarily to do honour to Dobbin Bradman. They had also to extend to Mr Maley and the visitors from St George a very hearty welcome. The occasion was a fitting one to show Don that his services to New South Wales cricket and a barrel were appreciated, uh, appreciated in, in the town in which he had first won his laurels. It was no mean achieve, achievement for a country boy to go to Sydney and in his first season win second place in the Sheffield Shield averages and second place in first grade averages in Sydney. The great wish of his barrel administrators, uh, barrel admirers was to see him in, a, in an Australian team. Mr Westbrook said he was nervous in the presence of Mr Maley, who, was, who not only played good cricket but made good humorous pictures. He did not think they should wait till a man was dead before they told him how they admired his good qualities. Rather, would be endorsed the sentiment of the legend which greeted the return of a wanderer to his own land. We love you and we tell you so. Whether it was keeping books, playing tennis, driving a car or wielding a bat, the smartest man of his age known to the speaker was Don Bradman. To keep up his wicket when others had fallen disastrously, was the supreme test of a cricketer and that their young guest had done. He was undoubtedly one of the greatest cricketers in the state. They were proud of the illustrious deeds performed by the incomparable boy from Barrel. Not only was Don a fine cricketer, but he was a good sportsman. They were lucky to have produced so fine a chap as Don. The mayor presented Bradman with a handsome gold watch and chain saying that he would live long to wear them and go far in the cricket world. Mr Bradman, who was received with, for he's a jolly good fellow, was evidently overcome by the extreme cordiality of his reception. 
He said that after the glowing remarks of the chairman, he found difficulty in putting his feelings into words. In the first place, there were several people he had to thank for whatever success he had made. Mr Stevens had got him the chance to have a knock in Sydney. Mr Jones and Mr Cush had given him his next chance for it, for if he hadn't gone into St George, he could not have gone further. Then, when that was achieved, Mr Westbrook had given him time off, for without that, it would have been impossible for him to retain his place in his club. Cricket was a wonderful character builder, and he had met some of the finest of men among his cricket associates. He thanked them all from the bottom of his heart and hoped he would never do anything to make them regret that given him uh, their present. An excellent supper was served by the ladies. So, great uh, little snapshot of history there and uh, how Barrel and uh, Dawn uh, held each other in such high regard and... Um, to have a civic reception um, with all the pomp and ceremony, um, you know, is a, a great reflection of the times and it's amazing to look back and get a little little bit of a sense for the traditions and, uh, um, you know, the conduct in which they carried on these sort of events. Um, so into the 28-29 season and Don Bradman summarised it like this. The pinnacle of ambition for every Australian cricketer is to be selected in a side to tour England. Selection for a test team within Australia is really a higher honour because you're one of the best 11, whereas it is possible for a tourist not to play even one test. A lucky break which brought me a century in each innings against Queensland ensured a place in the first test team in 1928-29 but scores of 18 and 1 were not sufficient for me to hold my position and I was dropped for the second test. Chosen again for the third, in which I made 79 and 112, I clinched a regular place and was never again omitted from an Australian team. So on to the first test. And this this was the summary of uh, the first test match. Don Bradman's introduction to test cricket was an unhappy experience. In the first innings, he went in on the third ball at 71 for five and batted for 33 minutes, hitting four fours before uh, falling at 101 for six. His 18 was in fact the third highest score. He was disappointed at being given out LBW because he had tried to place the ball behind the square leg umpire, thinking it would miss the leg stump. In the second innings, Bradman only faced two balls, being caught off the second one. It was the first time in his life he'd seen a wet wicket of this nature, and of course he'd never played on one. So, a fairly inauspicious debut. Uh, But then on to his second test, which was the third test of the series. In his first innings, Don Bradman went in late on the first day. He was 26 not out overnight and reached 50 on the second morning after a further hour. At lunch, he was 60 not out and he batted altogether for three hours, 14 minutes to reach 79. He hit nine fours and scored his runs at the rate of 24 an hour. 
His second innings was even better and he reached his first century in Test Match Cricket. Going in on the fifth day, he was nine, not out at lunch. He took two hours, 23 minutes to reach 50 and was 60 at tea. Thereafter, he brightened up considerably. He began to use his feet to jump out to drive, with the result that his second 50 took only 83 minutes. A century taking three hours, 46 minutes altogether. He was finally caught at the wicket after batting for four hours, seven minutes and hitting seven fours. Up till that time, he was the youngest player ever to make a century in a test match. He was then 20 years, 129 days. No Australian batsman had up till then scored a test match century with so little first-class experience behind him as only 11 matches. And not long after this, Bradman was playing for New South Wales again against Victoria in late January 1929. And just reading uh, from from the match summary... Just prior to the commencement of this match, Don Bradman had arranged to have his name put on the William Sykes cricket bat. To celebrate this arrangement, the manufacturers gave Bradman a new bat. and Without any oiling or preparation, he took it to the wicket, made this score with it and never used it again because the manufacturers took it back and used it for display purposes. This was the match in which Bradman first displayed his potentialities as a record breaker. Going in shortly before lunch on the first day at 76 for 1, he reached 50 in 85 minutes and 100 in 3 hours 9 minutes, being 129 not out at the close of play, after 3 hours 51. The next morning, when he was 133, he completed 1,000 runs for the season for the first time in his career, and it was the earliest, January 25th, until then, by New South Wales batsman. At 20 years, 151 days, he was the youngest batsman ever to reach a 1,000 runs in an Australian season. At 20 years, 151 days, he was the youngest batsman ever to reach a 1,000 runs in an Australian season. By lunchtime, he'd reached 196, this score taking 5 hours 57 minutes and the next 50 came in only 34 minutes. The 300, which he reached just before tea, took 7 hours 33. And when New South Wales declared he'd been at the wicket for 8 hours 8 minutes and had hit 38 fours. At 8 hours 8 minutes, this was uh, in point of time the longest innings he'd played, and it was the longest ever played for New South Wales in a Sheffield Shield match. 340 was in the highest score by a New South Wales player in any Sheffield Shield match and the highest score made on the Sydney cricket ground. It was the highest score ever made by a batsman under 21 and he was the youngest Australian to play in innings of 300 and over. Bradman was also then the youngest batsman to make a treble century as well as 100 in each innings, both before reaching the age of 21 and he was the youngest batsman to make a double century for New South Wales in a Sheffield Shield match. So records just absolutely tumbling and uh, at the age of 21 he's just knocking them dead and um, what, a, uh, what, a, what a way to announce your arrival on the scene. 
in in the fourth test of the uh, series against England, Bradman's third test, he made scores of 40 and 58 in a losing side. In the fifth test, Bradman's fourth, he made scores of 123 and 37 not out, setting a record fifth wicket stand for Australia. And he passed the aggregate record for an Australian season, 1,534, uh, with Australia winning the match. So in the 1929-30 season, uh, Bradman described it like this. The world's record score in first-class cricket, which I achieved in 1930, came by chance, not by design, but undeniably it gave me intense satisfaction and confidence. It was not so much the score itself, but rather that I'd made the runs by aggressive stroke play in quicker time than anybody else. Then selection for England, which is the goal of every Australian cricketer, made me feel proud that I'd lived up to the hopes and ambition ambitions of my parents and friends. The innings that he speaks of there is a shield game against Queensland. After scoring three in the first innings, he followed up with 452. And uh, the summary of the innings was like this. Don Bradman opened, uh, opened the first innings but was caught at the wicket after seven minutes, scoring only three. Going in at 22 for one, soon after lunch on the second day, he completed uh, 50 in 51 minutes, 100 in an hour and 44 minutes, 200 in three hours, five minutes, and was 205 not out at the close of play 10 minutes later. He completed 1,000 runs for the season, went on 120, 176 on the 4th of January, the earliest date until then a New South Wales batsman had ever reached this aggregate and he took only 11 innings. On the third day, he carried on to pass WH Ponsford's two-year-old record of record score of 437. Till then, the highest score ever made in first-class cricket. He reached 304 hours 48 and was 310 not out at lunch. After 6 hours 17 minutes, he reached 400 and 29 minutes later, he broke the record. He hit 49 fours. His 452 was the highest score ever made in a first-class match. Bradman became uh, the only New South Wales batsman twice to make a score of over 300. His match aggregate of 455 was also the highest on record. At 21 years, 132 days, he was the youngest player ever to make 400. Bradman's partnership with Kipax for the third wicket was a record for matches between New South Wales and Queensland and in any match against Queensland. His time for reaching 400, 6 hours and 17 minutes, was the fastest on record. Ponsford scored 400 in 7 hours, 17 minutes. Uh, and his time for reaching 300, 4 hours 48 minutes, was the fastest for New South Wales. His 49 fours were the highest number of boundaries ever hit in an innings in a Sheffield Shield match, and his 196 were the most runs scored in boundaries.
Uh, and uh, this was Bradman's summary of how we felt about uh, breaking a record uh, with that innings and what it was like. Uh, writing of his record score of 452 not out in the Queensland match, Don says, I do not set much store on the making of records. I made it a rule to always play for my side and not for myself. I've never placed my own interests before the interests of my team. If I broke a record, I've been glad, but only because I've felt that my side needed the runs. On one occasion, and one occasion only, however, I definitely and deliberately set out to establish a record. The highest individual score in first-class cricket was the one record I wanted to hold, and the opportunity came my way in the return match against Queensland. At the end of the second day's play on Saturday, I was some 200 runs not out. I spent the evening quietly with some friends, and then on the Sunday, I'm reflecting on the state of the game. It occurred to me that I had just a chance of topping Billy Ponsford's record score of 437. The conditions were all in my favour. The state of the game was exactly right and I felt sure that I could only do my part. I would have the necessary support at the other end. When Monday came, everything worked out as I had hoped and planned. The mood to make runs was on me and topping the third century and then the fourth, the moment came when I was at last within striking distance of my goal, the highest individual score. My score was 434, so that four more runs were wanted when I faced Thurlow, Queensland's fast bowler, against whom, earlier in the season, Woodfall had had his hand broken. Here I had a curious intuition. While Thurlow was preparing to bowl, I seemed to sense that the ball would be a short pitch one on the leg stump and I could almost feel myself getting ready to make my shot before the ball was delivered. Sure enough, it pitched exactly where I'd anticipated, and hooking it to the square leg boundary, I established the only record upon which I'd set my heart. Many people have asked me to describe my feelings when I realised that I'd accomplished this performance. The best description I can offer is that I feel as a man who had achieved a specific task which he'd set himself to do. And having uh, done it, I was satisfied. I was not excited and I cannot say that I suffered any reaction. My feeling was one of complete satisfaction. From there, Bradman went on to be selected for the Tour of England, the 17th Australian to tour, or the 17th Australian side. And I have a copy of a lovely looking document in front of me with the emblem and stamp of the New South Wales Premier. It, it says... The bearer of this credential, Mr Donald George Bradman, a member of the Australian cricket team, a respected resident of this state, is proceeding on a visit to Great Britain and the continent of Europe. Any courtesy that may be afforded to him will be valued on his part and will be appreciated by this government, signed by the Prime Minister. Um, so, yeah, beautiful old document dated 31st of January 1930. I guess uh, must have been, you know, effectively like a, a visa in those days. There was also a uh, quaint letter um, dated... 
the 31st of January 1930 from the Australian Board of Control for International Cricket uh, regarding passport, luggage, etc. And uh, two parts of that letter stand out to me. Firstly, this. With regard to luggage, have your kit bags, trunks and suitcases painted distinctly with bands one inch wide of the Australian colours, green and gold. All heavy trunks must be put on board the Orford at your home port. Uh, and then uh, also this uh, regarding clothing. Please leave your order for these articles at once uh, with Harding's Mercery, number 1A, Hunter Street, Sydney. Uh, and this related to blazer, cap, tie. This is very necessary if you are to get delivery before sailing. Also arrange with William Hollams uh, uh, and Company of 227 Flinders Lane, Melbourne and 50 York Street, Sydney to be measured for sets of Yeela trousers, shirts and pyjamas. The latter the gift of the Yeela Company. These goods will be delivered to the team on arrival in England. Um, and then uh, on to um, onto the tour, and this is how Bradman recalled his his first overseas tour. The days between selection for an English tour and departure are usually nostalgic, and nineteen thirty was no exception. I attended many farewells, as did two of my young teammates, Alan Fairfax and Archie Jackson shown photographed with me, and all our hopes were high. Sadly, they did not achieve their goals. Both had mediocre tours of England, and I was a pallbearer at Archie's funeral less than three years later, whilst Alan suffered much ill health and died at the very young age of 48. A tour to England in those days was a marvellous experience. This one embraced visits to Hobart, Launceston and Perth, where matches were played, before leaving Australia. The shipboard life, with stops at Colombo, Aden, Suez and Port Said, was exciting. The Suez Canal gave no hint of the tragedy which lay ahead. Rome was a highlight. Even now I think St Peter's Cathedral the most wonderful structure I've seen, with the Milan Cathedral also marvellous. Switzerland was incredibly beautiful, and in its own way so was Paris, though to an unsophisticated lad like me, somewhat overpowering. What an education for a young country lad and how wonderful that cricket could make it possible. So off they went to England and onwards went Sir Don's career. So I just wanted to share those early stories with you and look back because it's interesting to see the traje trajectory of his career in terms of achievements uh, and accolades and of course the records tumbling. It seemed like most times he stepped on the crease. Um, and also his burgeoning reputation and following and the way he conducted himself. Um, you can see even as a young man he had his feet uh, planted quite firmly on the ground and uh, that was obviously thanks to his family and his friends and uh, his upbringing and of course his community in Barrel and no doubt his uh, club and uh, New South Wales teammates. I hope you enjoyed this little bit of background on Sir Donald Bradman. 
I certainly enjoyed doing some research and reading about his career. And, of course, there is a lot more to tell uh, about his career and uh, his legend. And uh, I might revisit this someday and maybe pick up where I left off with his first tour of England. As a final footnote, I was amused to read in Bradman's diary notes, um, he recorded scores for all the games played on the ship and who won what and with whom. And suffice to say, he was normally on the winner's side of the legend. So uh, clearly competitive in everything he did. Uh, if you've got any thoughts or feedback, uh, I'd love to, uh, love to hear from you. All my contact details are on the Aussie Warrior website. Uh, that's still very much a work in progress, but something I hope to push along further. Thanks for listening. Uh, I hope to catch you soon on podcast number four. And uh, thanks for tuning in.